The OAM Network is an independently run podcast and live production company in Memphis, Tennessee. TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. This is Something to Say. I'm Johnny. And I'm Scott. Welcome to this podcast where we have conversations with each other about things that matter to us as um, one retired clergy, one still active. He's retired. Do what? He's retired. Who's retired? Johnny's retired. I'm, yeah, I'm the retired okay. one. Yeah, I'm with you. And so it's a way by which we can have some conversation about things, invite some guests in to deal with things that uh, are hard, some things that are funny, and uh, to just kind of live the life that we have together in, in an open and honest way. Today is, as we record this, is Inauguration Day, January 20, and for many of us, myself included, today is a day long sought that there could be a change from what has been to what will be. And so I claim that unapologetically. It's been hard to watch the world, our country, our communities, our fellow citizens treat each other the way that we have in the last, particularly the last four years, aided and abetted by um, the primary voice out of the White House. So I'm not running away from that. Uh, to say that it, we're better than that. Now, that's not to say that the new president's going to get it right, because I'm sure I'll find issue with him as well. But at least if we can begin at a point of civility, then that can be a beginning place to understanding one another. To that end, that's kind of the focal point of our conversation today. It's the intersection of faith and politics. And the beginning point for me with this is having been retired now and the events that occurred in the U.S. Capitol on January 6th being what they were, I was keenly interested in knowing what would be coming forth from pulpits of my colleagues on the Sunday following January 6th. It's an important point because while we often do our work as preachers, very often narrowly focused on what we want to say and how we want to say it, who was it that said a good preacher has a Bible on one hand and newspaper on the other? Oh, I was uh, uh, Fosdick. Say who that was? Yeah. So, and if it wasn't, we'll say it was. Okay, it is today. So, uh, I'm sure we'll get corrected if that's not the case. But the point here is, how can you not let the events that had occurred the previous Wednesday go by unaddressed with your faith community on the Sunday that followed it? And I was quite pleased with a number of my colleagues who handled it well, who didn't let it go by. Some did. And, you know, I don't judge that. I was just uh, disappointed a bit, and there may be reasons, perhaps even that they were pre-recorded before Sunday, which in this I was one of those. In this age, is not uncommon uh, to to do that. So I I, I was just curious about that because I didn't have an outlet for it. 
and I was wondering if I had colleagues who found that they needed to address it. One of our brothers, Sky, uh, I, and, and I won't say who he is, but I noted that he spent more time telling his congregants or debating with himself about whether or not he should say something than actually saying something. And that, that allowed me to think about, well, interesting, yeah. our podcast. Some people hey, have something to say, hey, and some yeah. people just need hey, to say something. He shared his struggle. He shared his struggle say. out yeah. loud yeah. in front of God and everybody. Yeah, I openly processed it. That's right. Sorry, I couldn't quite hear you. Could you please repeat what you said? No, Siri's talking. What the hell is that? Siri's bitch. You need to tell her to Um, That's weird. So I, I come at that thinking about the times in my life in ministry where something has happened in the world around politics uh, that did I address it or not? And if I didn't, why? And then how do we talk to one another given as uh, divided, as partisan as we are, a hyper-partisanship unlike any I can remember in my lifetime? Yeah, it's really taking its toll on people, I think, but I don't recall any time being this divided and polar either. Yeah. That's where we want to go, just to talk a little bit about that and to share from our own experience what we have encountered and to see if that stirs any thoughts in you about how you might think about it, whether or not you're a clergy person is irrelevant. You know somebody, you love somebody, you work with somebody who holds a position that is so diametrically opposed to yours that you don't know how to engage with them. How do you deal with it? Uh, how many years now at the Thanksgiving table can you not have conversation right. anymore without it becoming, in some points, violent over perspective? That's where we are, and that's what I invite you to be thinking about with us. Sky, what do you want to say as we get started? Well, it it's a good uh it, it's a good topic to to broach, not just for us, but I think for folks in general, we have so much incivility on on the subject that I think we're in a period where we need a debriefing uh, uh no matter who you voted for uh to process. Uh, those feelings, those uh, conversations that you've heard or even accusations made to your face uh, about who you are and your character just because who you voted for or, or what flag you fly. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think this is timely. Uh, and uh, you and I talking about this will be as helpful as anything just because I know I need to uh, help people process that. Mm -hmm. uh we all do, uh, but you know, like you said, I, I think uh, some of that's going to start around the table at Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas dinners. Uh, people who dearly love each other uh, can be at each other's throats, and uh, this season is just really—it's uh, it, been unique in my experience. Mm -hmm. uh, oh yeah, absolutely, and that is why we've had this moment of extreme. In the most recent past, the issue of how one deals with politics and religion as a pastor or mm -hmm. just a person of faith is not a new question. 
No, and and it's it's gotten harder because of how uh, violent it has become. I, you know, I just I'm recalling something happening in college. A table of folks that I ate lunch with, uh, two good friends who grew up in neighboring towns, and uh, one uh, a diehard uh, Democrat, one a diehard Republican. And uh, they used to jibe each other all the time, but I noticed they always ate lunch together. And I think it's because they enjoyed each other's company. And one of them had said, uh, says, man, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, somebody took a Mondale Ferraro sticker and super glued it on the bumper of my car. <laughs> and, and, and I listened to these two guys said, are you kidding? He said, no. He says, well, that, that's a little extreme. And you could tell this guy was getting really fired up. And then the other guy says, uh, uh, I'm the one. Who superglued that on your bumper? <laughs> he goes, "No, you didn't." I said, "Yeah, I did." I said, "No, no, you did." I said, "Yeah, I really did." And they laughed about it. Yeah. And then they helped him scrape it off the car, and everything was fine. But nowadays, I somebody gets shot over that. And Absolutely. how did we get there? You know, I mean, I think I know the answer, but to allow ourselves to get there, I think that's that's uh, troubling uh, at best. And how do we? recover a civility that allows us to uh, have disagreements. Yeah, I think that's, that's that's a great story. I think there's there, there are multiple layers here. And I'll, I'll just speak to the, the first most notable moment where I address this out front. Before September 11, 2001, I was far more as a pastor of the mind, don't let them know who you support. Mm-hmm. Don't let them know your political persuasion. Now, I don't know if it's just about who I am and my makeup in those days, or if it's more indicative of how many of us are. Or how we were taught. But that's when, not polite conversation. That's true. But when you come up and you're getting started in this kind of work, and if you're codependent a little bit, as I can testify to, the thought of you want to appeal to everyone is the beginning place. Now, it doesn't take long to realize that's a fool's errand, but it's that aspirational thing when you get started that if I can just make everybody like me, I'll right. be okay. What I've since learned is if you try to be all things to all people, you end up being not much to anybody. But that's miserable. That's uh, years of experience learning and a few battle scars along the way. Before September 11, 2001, my first cognitive memory of in, in my pastorate of an issue with politics occurred in 1992. And where I was serving at the time was in southeast Memphis. And it was the first time after a presidential election that I started to notice in the parking lot when we would have church, the bumper stickers that said, not my president, I didn't vote for him. And I thought, well, that's odd. You know, he is, but there was the beginning of a, of a, of a dividing line that I saw. And, and that and what I discovered, you know, I knew these people, I loved these people, I cared for these people, and I, and within the confines of the church, they were so loving and caring, 
But then out in the parking lot, I could hear some of the most vile things, and I, I couldn't reconcile that. Along the way in my ministry, I, no, I noticed that I could not stay silent on things as much anymore. At the time in Southeast Memphis, a transition was occurring, and and it happened in Fox Meadows very quickly. They were building the White Flight, I mean, the Nankana Parkway out east. That's where a lot of folks were going. Did I say that out Tell loud? Tell it like it is. Yes, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> I was in ministry with my brother, Mark Matheny, in, at Asbury in Memphis as we were trying to make a witness. And I can remember a congregational meeting in which there was, Asbury had been blessed with some resources, and there was an African-American church in South Memphis that needed some help and the goal here was to make just a no-interest loan to them to help them do what they needed to do. Using the Bible as a referent mm-hmm. about no interest, that's not a good business plan, but it's biblical. U- Usury's in the That's, that's right. right. The anger, the, uh, the political implications, the nature—never mind, by the way— that were Wesleyan and what Wesley says about the use of money, that doesn't matter. No. Uh, being reminded of that didn't help any. It seemed to fan the flames further. Uh, Mark Don't and I. Preaching the man. That's right. Mark and I took some heat for that. And, and I love Mark, always will love Mark. And th- that was a, a war we stood side by side together on. And it became clear to me that that gospel is political. And I didn't know how to speak to that. Then, in, in the way that I would, I would later in my life. On Tuesday, September 11, 2001, I kind of, I was new in a, in a, my, an appointment just a few months in. Uh, I had a newborn son. Jack was, uh, barely a month old. And watching all this happen, I had a, a called for, um, a prayer vigil at the church on September 12, 2001, yeah. and I and I can remember in that place, and at this place at St. John's, if you don't bring it in every which way, you're not, they're, they're right. going to let you know it, but I didn't need any coaxing here that I called for prayer for those who um, have been victimized and those who are enemies. Again, Scripture as a reference. Right. So... Um, I remembered getting some backlash that how dare you pray for Osama bin Laden. It's not because I like the guy. Uh, I'm just in this moment. This is what you do. That next Sunday, they're following. I, I remember in part what I said was, and in these in those days, this might be something you want to talk about too, Sky. In those days at St. John's, in the corner of in. In the sanctuary up near the chancel was the Christian flag and the American flag. Praise Jesus. It's not there now. Uh, we'll get, uh, talk about that later. But anyway, and I remembered saying, because it, it was, um, it was a, an example in high relief. Today I stand between my two citizenships. Mm-hmm. The citizenship I have to a country I love and a citizenship into which I was adopted as a baptized child of God. Mm-hmm. And how do I hold the tension of those when something like this has happened? 
that was hard to say. And, and the stuff that ran up from that, opposing uh, a war that would break out. Referencing then uh, former President Bush W. as the Methodist in the White House when I would preach about him, because he is Methodist, but I mean, he's a Texas Methodist, so you know what they call Texas Methodist? Baptist. Baptist. Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, <laughs> anyway, to God, all of our Texas friends, yeah, tell me I'm wrong. Anyway, the there's that that point in which, and people left. People left St. John's uh, over my preaching an anti-war message because I didn't feel like war was the answer to this what had occurred. And throughout my time in ministry, there are moments in which things have come up that you can't not say something. So uh, how how does that resonate with you, Sky? There have been moments for you. Earlier in ministry, I, I kind of had one of those uh, here I stand, I can do no other moments when uh, there was a uh, uh, Robert Glenn Coe, who was um, mm-hmm. death row, yes, uh, was sentenced to be executed, and it looked like that execution was going to go through. And there had not been an execution in the state of Tennessee in 40 years. That's right. Uh, I think that happened under the Clement regime. They mm-hmm. just kind of put a moratorium on uh, capital punishment for a while. Uh, and, and it was it was it moved me inside because I I had had studied really in depth on Christian ethics about when is it a, when is it appropriate to use force because uh, I, I I wrestled with being a with a with a pacifist and my father who who was about as yellow dog Democrat as they got Amen. Uh, fought in uh, Korea. Uh, after losing a brother in World War II and and said, you know, said when I got to South Korea and I saw those folks, the only difference between them and uh, me, who uh, had grown up in southeast Kansas, was their appearance. Other than that, they were agricultural, they were poor, and they were gentle, friendly people. And he said, you can't let people like that get beaten up. He said, that, that's when I can see force is appropriate but 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 never more than what's needed and that's nothing new that's pretty much just war principles but i i i had one of those moments where i realized that you know if i think uh, i think abortion is a taking of life uh, and life is sacred uh and we don't do those things premeditated without a whole lot of thought uh, that applied to capital punishment too mm-hmm uh, so, you know, that was my here. I take a stand. Uh, and I can do no other. And, uh, through, uh, a long story, which I'll tell you some other day, uh, I became, uh, the pastor to the Coast family. It cost me a few folks at church. I think the reason it didn't cost me more is because I had made it very clear that there was room for conversation in that, but this was my personal belief. Uh, informed by my faith and uh, was very clear that uh, while I might be passionate about it, uh, it was always up for conversation. But I could not not say something. And I got quoted in the papers and I, I preached a sermon on it. One, I didn't preach every sermon on it because life's a balance. But uh, in that moment, uh, I felt like I had to say something. And if you're prophetic, 
Or if you just plain quote scripture like you did, sometimes there's a price to pay and That's people right. won't like it. And I think we find ourselves in that season more going back to being so polar. Uh, there's a mentality that's caught on somehow. If I don't like it, then it's wrong. And uh, I, that's a really twisted morality. But uh, Jesus was pretty clear about that kind of thinking, too. I think he was. Yeah, I, you know, that. that's – I remember that with you and having been uh, uh, mentored by – Harmon Ray. Harmon Ray, and we'll tell Harmon stories and Celeste stories one of these days, back when I was at Vanderbilt, that, yeah, that's, I, re- I recall the struggle you had. Well, and I remember, uh, you know, he, I get in, you know, another another saint of the church, uh, Gene Davenport. Amen. Gene sent me uh, to Will Campbell, another saint Amen. in the church. And and both of them warned me that even people who say they are on your side and behind you 100% won't be there, even though they said they were. And they would tell stories about freedom fighters who said they were there in the oh, middle yeah. of all that, and they, they weren't there. But it ain't easy. And going back to what you said, uh, preachers and politicians and other folks tend to want to be liked and your need to be liked and the strokes you receive from that sometimes will sway uh, your sense of right and wrong. Yeah. Something to Say seeks to be a self-supporting endeavor. You can support us at theoamnetwork.com slash something to say where you'll find the donate button. You can also share your donation on the cash app at dollar sign P-O-D-M-E-M or on Venmo at P-O-D-M-E-M. Thank you for all the ways you support Something to Say. I think what, in 92, the reflection, and then across my years in ministry, less so in my last years at St. John's, which is uh, made a deliberate move, which was already left of center, particularly out of the 2016 General Conference, that because we were going to lose a ton of folks mm-hmm. who had— had waited long and fought hard to be included in the church because of who they love that St. John's went from just being left of center to be more overtly um, an advocate for change that in my time in Memphis and my few years in, in Bemis and for those of you who don't know where Bemis, Tennessee is. It's in Madison County, Tennessee. It's south of the Fork of Deer River, which is God's favorite part of Madison County. Um, and I have some life um, in those roads and back roads. Broke my leg in one of those back roads long ago. I what the, the sentiment there and then back in Memphis but was that we don't want to hear about politics in church. Right. We don't, we don't come to church to hear about politics. Uh, I think, and, and, and I think I understand the tension of that for those who are currently pastoring, that we don't want to, you have congregants who don't want to be, who don't want to hear about politics in church. And you, and you've, you've got to make a decision. The decision, it seems to me, is do I go along to get along and just keep it, let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya? Or if is there a moment 
that requires that gospel be spoken into a very difficult situation, which will highlight for some that their belief system is being challenged by the gospel. Nobody wants their belief system to be challenged by the gospel. We already think we're we're on the team, right? Yeah. So none of us want to be told that there might be a challenge. And so to say that politics doesn't belong in church, one is bullshit. And yeah. here's why. And I'm 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 mindful of the influence of Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan in this regard. So that I already let you know where I am for those of you who have ears to hear. That Mark 1-1 is about as overtly a political statement as there is. Very rarely will you hear me quote scripture, but here it comes. Mark 1-1, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And to, the, and to the first hearers of that, Son of God belonged only to one. And that was the emperor. So don't tell me politics doesn't belong. No, and all you got to do is go a little further in Mark, and uh, Jesus has authority. That's right. That's right. What do you do with that? Where do you go with that? What do you think with that? How, how do you speak to it? And, and the other the other question for me that I've lived with, it took me a while to come to it, because in the beginning of my ministry, I was so much about, can I just hold the balance and keep everybody cool? How do you preach? How do you lead? How do you pastor people whose beliefs are the diametric opposite of yours? And where I came to, that I came, I, I was resolved to, I, I did some a lot of soul searching about this. That if I can't pastor you because I don't agree with you, I don't need to be a pastor. If I, if, uh, if, I pastor on, if I pastor only the people I agree with, or if I hide who I am, I think that's the other piece of the puzzle. If I hide who I am, because I'm afraid that if you knew who I was, you wouldn't like me, you wouldn't like me or you wouldn't want me to be your pastor. And I'll because go find you, another church. I'll go find another church, and I'm going to take my money with me. I've, I've, I've run more than a few folks out of church. Not that I'm proud of that necessarily, but to be sure, it has happened. And there are some that I've grieved deeply over for leaving and wished that there had been ways in which I could have made a connection. And there have been others I have not said out loud, but quietly don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Right. How do you how do you address the question of how do you pastor a divided church? How do you pastor people who don't agree with you? Pastoring folks that I don't that don't agree with me is not always been that difficult for me because uh, I, I guess for life experiences I, I learned some conflict management early on. For those of you who don't know, and uh, some folks tire hearing me tell stories, but I was a college and high school sports official for close to 30 years. So learning to uh, be an active listener was part of the craft, or you didn't last very long. So to be able to hear it, I think some folks can't even get past that because they just absolutely tune it out or or take it 
personally. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, uh, Jesus was pretty clear. There's some folks out there going to need some, uh, some confrontation and some uh, evangelizing and some uh, converting and probably most importantly, uh, transformation to happen. And to do that and to be an agent of that, uh, you got to be willing to go into some tough stuff. But I think attitude and presentation uh, gets preachers into as much trouble as anything because I, I've heard some folks say the right thing, but when it was presented and the way it was presented, it was like, dude, if you were trying to sell that, you didn't do a very good job <laughs> uh, because it came across as uh, at best judgmental uh, and at worst, almost demonizing people. Yeah. And that doesn't work, for one. And, and the other is, I, I don't think it's God's preferred way of us treating each other. I believe uh, that. So, uh, you know, serving a divided church takes a lot of listening. And, and when you do the listening and you do the relationship building, you find out that there are certainly divisions, but sometimes they're not always the divisions that you assumed. Uh, and, and talk about the, 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 the issues of the day. Somebody that I think is conservative in ideology and politics and have a conversation with them and find out they are on a lot of things, but not all things. Uh, several folks at church I serve, I would say, are conservative politically, but not conservative socially, uh, particularly on the issue of sexuality, but also on other social issues. It's not because I would say they're compassionate conservatives, but they have had life experiences. That they have had to confront those things head on and realize that uh, rhetoric and party line don't always work. Mm-hmm. To quote one uh, gentleman I used to know uh, that I served and was his pastor, the line moves and there are lots of shades of gray. And, and even the scripture says that. We don't like to admit it, but, uh, you know, did God change his mind? Well, if we uh, read it at its word, uh, yeah, he changed his mind a few times. Well, well, what if, what if we can find like 30 good people? You, then maybe you'll spare the city. Well, yeah, for 30 people. Well, what about, what about 20 people? So, you know, uh, we always find ourselves in a bargaining position with God saying, oh, maybe God will give us a break. But on the other hand, I think sometimes we ascribe some things and beliefs and mores to God that aren't God's. Oh, I believe that too. And that is hard to preach when we grow up with preconceived notions and understandings about who God is and who God's people are. And I don't have to go much further back than my own memories in time to know that there was a time when it wasn't going to be appropriate for a person of color to walk in the sanctuary in the church I grew up in. Mm -hmm. Today, would I get any crap for preaching a sermon about racism? No. But it wasn't that long ago when I would have. 
And there's still some people who wouldn't openly say that I shouldn't have preached that sermon, but they might have left the house thinking that. Yeah, I'm sure that's right. So uh, all to say is that uh, it takes a certain amount of nerve, but it also takes a certain amount of listening and experience and relationship building to truly address those issues to people in a way that not only they're heard, but they're respected. And it's not about me personally being respected as much as the topic and the discussion being respected. I mean, if we truly come to the Lord's table and we break bread together— and we say that everybody's on equal ground when they do that, then that means what it says. Everything has to live under that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a matter of nerve, but it's also a matter of where, where are these people at? What's their story? I don't, you know, you don't know a church when you go into it the first, I'm convinced, first four years. You're still learning who people are, what their stories are, and where the pain is. And, uh, some of those experiences, when you allow yourself to be a part of those, it explains why people are the way they are. And some of them have good reason. It may not hold up in uh, the court of morality, but you understand their experience. So I, I don't think we ever get anywhere preaching at people. And I think sometimes we've tried to make change by fiat, and that usually doesn't go well. No, I think that's right. And it, it's... In my own experience, my first stint at St. John's was when 9-11 happened. Uh, the Iraq War started, Afghanistan, the whole smash. And so there were, there was plenty to say, mm-hmm. uh, in those, in those days. And, and then I went from there to a church out in, um, Shelby County in Cordova, Covenant, lovely, lovely people. But a church not conditioned to hear things so forcefully spoken. Now, uh, for you listeners, what one thing I don't think I've yet acknowledged is that uh, Gil and I have this church in common. He was my sound guy, my uh, creative arts person at Covenant while I was there. So we have this as a as a common point of reference. Would you say that's right, yes. Gil? Lovely, lovely congregation, to be sure. And things happened during the five years I was there. I think the most dramatic thing that occurred in my memory there was um, Sandy Hook. Yeah. And what do you say on the Sunday, which for the church, as you might recall, was Gata Day Sunday, uh, third Sunday of Advent, which is supposed to be about joy. Joy. When you're, when we light the rose, not pink candle. And, um, tell yes. me. Yeah, that's right. Uh, liturgical police on parade. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I struggled. I mean, I didn't know what to say. And it was terrible. And, uh, I crafted something, the gist of which was, the only reason we talk about joy today is because in a world like this, it's the only thing we have left to hold on to. And I, and I don't know that anything else happened. I have to ponder my memory a little bit. But what I do know is the, the purposeful calibration for me uh, there, not so that I could get along so much, but that I wanted my time there to be fruitful 
right? And uh, I feel like it was. Would you say that's right? I would. I mean, like you, the position that I had there, I started at Covenant as a gym supervisor, basically. So checking out basketballs and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, at the time, I was going to school to be a graphic designer, and uh, the church, you know, was pretty behind as far as technology goes for you know the sermon for services and stuff and you you know kind of ushered in that new era for the church we got these giant 70 inch monitors in the sanctuary they had just rolled these sharp these sharp things out uh, there's this new system that this wireless HDMI system that we put in there. We were the first church in the city to get that, as I recall. Yeah, I believe that's true. Yeah. Uh, uh, Memphis Audio came out. They were there a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you were there um, because we redid that uh, the contemporary yeah. uh, room as well. Um, See, but- this, this illustrates the point about being flexible as a pastor. And I can't remember if I was a superintendent yet or not, but we were about to take a trip together, and I came to church that Sunday. And, you know, you've always done traditional worship, and I had too. Uh, You weren't the liturgical place that I used to be, but you wanted things done decently and in order. And I wanted to see how my friend Johnny was pulling off contemporary worship service at a church because that's clearly not the guy that I grew up with. Uh, And it was done, like you said, it was done wonderfully. And you put yourself and your druthers aside because you knew it needed to be done. It needed to be done well. Now, that doesn't mean you sold yourself out, and it doesn't mean that you compromise yourself anyway socially from the gospel standpoint, but you realize that church needed this, and if we're going to do it, we're going to do it well, and we're going to do it right. And I think that's the crux. How do you lead a church? You do. You take them where they're at, and you try to go in the direction you think they need well, to be. Well, let me let me tell you the truth about that. I appreciate that, brother. But let me tell you the truth about that. Contemporary worship is not my gift. It's not my gift either. It never but was. I do it, but I do it. And and by the way, the then superintendent who moved me from St. John's to Covenant thought that I'd be a match because I play guitar. That, well, that of course, brilliant, play guitar. But, that, you know, anyway. But the reason we did it the way we did it, and I'll tell you this because you were there, it's the only way we could do it and I could stomach it because it was not, it was, I don't judge it. I do judge some of the Jesus as my boyfriend songs, but Jesus, we I, do not miss going through CCLI and having to pull exactly. out songs and stuff. But I, um, it's the only way I could do it. And however they do it now is, is great, but it was the only way I could do it. And by the way, we didn't do many of those songs because I, I built a ton of sermon series on seventies rock tunes. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed those. And so that was because that was the stuff I wanted to if do. If you were going to play something, you were going to play something good. I was by gonna, the what? way, killer bands. Oh no doubt the band Killer was they're, they're the band was awesome. Didn't they do? Uh, <laughs> didn't we go to a gig they did at Huey's? Oh well, yeah, the Dantones. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was. Yeah, I was. I was the uh, the fifth Dantone for a little while. Yeah, I mean, you played with the band. And yeah. I mean, 
I mean, yeah, killer band. They're, I mean, they were, they were Great guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just, I just remember that and going to that worship service and saying, whoa, that was good. And I don't like contemporary worship yeah, either. Well, yeah, don't give me too much credit there, but I was just dealing, I was doing what I had to do to get through. And yeah, adaptability, whatever. I don't know how we got off on that, but um, I don't well, know we how it's going to work. But we were talking about how do you lead a divided church, and that, well, that part church, of that is part that of that is was how do you do, how do you how do you lead a divided self? Because we get asked to do, like, say, we're going to get sent to places, pastors. Lay folks get sent to jobs where they don't think they're the best fit in the world, but they do their job, and if they can't, then they're not worth their salt. Sure. The, I will say that pastoring a divided church is not necessarily about politics. No. For the church that, that we're speaking about, they had undergone a pretty ugly worship war, as I recall, between the uh, the traditional folks and the, the contemporary folks. Sure. I might, we might need to do, we might need to have a further conversation around that. Sure. Because that, the process of reaching the decision about how that was going to go. And it changed. It changed a lot. Yes. It, it moved, the technology had to change because we kept moving it around. Yeah, it was, there was a. <laughs> and not everybody loved it. And, no. But there was a moment. Elders are ordained to word, sacrament, and order. Order. And sometimes it's your call to order the life of the church. And you don't play that card a lot, but when you play it, it's because it's something that needs to be done. Yeah, that's rough words. When you're ordained, the bishop puts his or her hand on your head and says, take thou authority. Yeah, that's right. Sky and I want to hear from you as you continue to show your support for Something to Say. Find us on Instagram at something, T-W-O, say pod. There, Gil will keep updated with information about upcoming episodes. You can also email us at something, T-W-O, say pod at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Well, we have skirted all over the place. Any other thoughts about the intersection of politics and religion? Well, it's it's foolish to think that you can separate the two. I mean, the body politic is what is it that propels and holds a society together? Uh, and if you look under that with Christian eyes, uh, what is it that holds a body together uh, as they do the work in the realm of God? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it matters mm-hmm. how you do that. It matters what you say. It matters how you say it, and it matters who's welcome. Right. So, you know, those are, those are things you can't apologize for. You can't, you can't apologize or, or worry about a sermon on racism. You just can't do it. And we need to have a conversation about racism. And racism is multifaceted and we're two white men talking about it. That's right. Two middle-aged white guys that's, talking about that's, racism. That's problematic in itself. So I'll, I'll give we you the, need help. I'll give you the short version. It's not up to us to show, demonstrate that we're not racist. Correct. We need to demonstrate that we're anti-racist. Correct. And the word anti-racist means a whole lot more than not being a racist. That's right. Those are things we can't apologize for and can't be afraid to do. 
But I think some of politics and society, particularly in the place that it's gotten to, like it or not, we're here, is going to take, and I don't want to sound condescending this, it's going to take some remedial work. What does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to honor a child of God? How do two children of God do that in a world that is stacked against having a moral compass? Mm-hmm. That that That's the, the task. And to help some people get into uncomfortable situations comfortably so that we ease folks into a situation they might not be comfortable in, but provide it under a, a roof of safety so that any question can be asked and received without offense. Yeah. Just a closing thought from me as we wrap up. I, I'm mindful with we who are of the Wesleyan family of the rules that guide us, the first of which is to do no harm. When the church does harm, it violates that rule. Mm-hmm. Do no harm does not mean don't tell the truth. And so some some discernment about the, it, the differences there might be worthy of further conversation. Avoid evil of every kind and then attend upon the ordinances of God that's lately been translated as stay in love with God. I think I hate that. I just... I mean, some folks mean well and try to simplify things, yeah, and when just, they do so, they screw it up. Wesley said it. It's good enough. Just, just, just live with just it. Just live with it. Yeah. yeah. So let that be our guide going forward. And for those of you who are pastoring through this really crazy season, don't be afraid. Don't be angry. Preach what's true. Preach what the gospel says, not necessarily what people want to hear. But be truthful with yourself as you do that. And um, be wary of doing harm. Discern the difference between harm and uh, what the truth is. And you'll do fine. But the one thing I will say, silence is not okay. You no. Can't, you can't not say something. Silence is a scent. So um, that'll do it for us um, with this edition of Something to Say. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and the various platforms by which you uh, view or listen to your podcasts and we appreciate your support in any way that you can give it to us and we'll see you again next time something to say is an oam network podcast hosted by johnny and sky produced by gilworth logo and designed by the oam network available on spotify stitcher google play and the oam network.com Music courtesy of the Traveling Cokesberries. Join us next time on Something to Say as Sky and I reflect upon Lakeshore Camp, that very special place to so many of us. It's a place where the friendship that Sky and I have first really began to emerge. For some of us, it's the place where the call to ministry was first heard. And on this very special episode, we welcome our first guest to the podcast as she shares her reflections on this very special place. That's next time on Something to Say on the OAM Network. Power to the podcast.